The Redefining Parenthood podcast focuses on building your family using a donor, featuring stories where a difficult trying to conceive journey has unexpectedly led them towards this path. I'm your host, Becky, also known as Defining Mum, a proud mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation, following my own diagnosis of premature ovarian failure in my late 20s. I know from my own experience and speaking to many others that this isn't a simple path. It's not just a one-time decision and there's lots to think about, many emotions to deal with and actually with very little support available and quite often we just don't know anyone else who can truly relate to how we're feeling. That's where this podcast can help. Through personal stories I'll be sharing relatable conversations as we talk about the hope and the expectations, alongside feelings of shame, dealing with genetic loss, family resemblances, talking to others and importantly to our children about this lesser discussed family building story. Hello and welcome back to the Redefining Parenthood podcast. I hope you're well. Today I'm going to be sharing an episode that is very close to my heart and we're talking about the point in time where we are finally parenting through donor conception and one of the biggest questions I get asked and I know one of the biggest fears that people can have is around how do I talk to my child about this. It's such an emotional topic and something that we as parents quite often we just want to get it right and we want to hear from others and we want to learn from their experiences too. So today I am sharing three different people on this episode. So the first is Julie from Happy Together Children's Book and we're going to hear about her story and her perspective and also what led her to create a tool for us as parents to talk to our children about their conception. I'm going to be speaking to Julianne again from Parenthood in Mind where we're going to talk about why this is so important and also the emotions that quite often come alongside with starting this story and developing this story as our children grow. And finally, I'm really proud and also quite emotional to share a little snippet of Mila speaking about her own conception story as well. And my hope is that this will bring it to life for you and help make it feel a little less scary. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you and I hope that you find it validating and helpful in your own parenting journey. Hello, I'm really, really happy to welcome uh, a good friend of mine through the Instagram squares, um, Julie from Happy Together Children's Book. And Julie and I have, I think it's about three years we've been connected now. Um, We're both mums through egg donation. Um, Julie's daughter is a little older than mine um, and she'll tell you all about her story in a second. But what we really wanted to focus on today was talking to our child about their conception and those fears and worries that we might have and and hopefully through two mums sharing their own experience we want to try and make it seem a little less scary and maybe prompt some thoughts of things you might not have thought about before um but also just to say we aren't experts in this um we have spoken to hundreds of people through instagram and we have also done lots of research ourselves and yeah, we're still finding our way. But we think that by having these open conversations, it can help others um, in finding their way when it comes to talking to their child about donor conception. So welcome, Julie. Thank you so much, Becky. I'm so excited to chat with you today about this topic. Me too, me too. So 
let's start with your story. Let's let's hear a little bit about you and kind of what led you to write Happy Together. Sure. So my I guess my story started even before I met my husband, because I always had a fear that I might have a problem with my fertility based on the fact that my mother did have infertility and she also had early menopause. And when I was a single woman, just kind of, you know, working on my career and dating and things like that, when I would go to my annual appointment, I would always ask my doctor about my fertility and my concerns based on my mother's history of early menopause. And she would say, don't worry, I'm 40 and I just had a baby. Everything will be fine. Everything, you know, looks good. Don't worry about it. But it was always something that was in the back of my mind. And so when my husband and I were got married, we immediately started trying to conceive. And just probably after three or four months, I was already feeling really impatient. And so I went back to the doctor And again, she said the same thing. Everything looks fine. No need for a concern. Everything I'm sure will work out. And a couple of weeks later, I just, I was having this intuition that something wasn't right. And I just wanted to double check that everything was in fact fine with me. And so she agreed to do some lab work on me and also referred me to the fertility specialist within the gynecological group. So it wasn't an an RE outside of that group at this point. It was just kind of their in-house fertility specialist. And so I met with him and he told me that I had diminished ovarian reserve. And about this time I was 34 or 35 years old and I had never heard of diminished ovarian reserve. I didn't know what it was. And we didn't look at my lab results at that time. So I wasn't really aware of anything other than diminished ovarian reserve and we could try an IUI. And of course I said, yes, let's try the IUI. I was feeling really impatient and just wanted to do what I could to speed things up. Yeah. Of course I had no idea how powerless I really was over all of it at that point, but we did the IUI and I had started doing a lot of Google searching on diminished ovarian reserve and what it meant. So I had developed a bit of a general understanding that I had less egg count than most women would at that age, but still I didn't understand the gravity of the diagnosis at that point. The IUI didn't work. And I just, the memory is still so clear, Becky, so many years later that I remember sitting in his office and he was on the other side of the desk and he had like stacks of books and paperwork and everything everywhere. But he put my lab results in front of me and he pointed to my AMH and he explained to me what the anti-malarian hormone was and that mine was totally undetectable. It did not register at all on my labs. Wow. And my FSH was also high. And he told me at that point pretty directly that he thought we could try another IUI, but that I might end up needing IVF. And this was just a massive shock to me at this point. I just, I had heard of IVF, but I didn't think that I was ever going to maybe need it or that things would become so clear so quickly with this infertility diagnosis in the low AMH. Yeah. And so I ran out of the office crying that day. I mean, it was just a total shock. And of course I did more Google searching, which did not 
let me kind of get any more positive news. It just made things a lot worse. I remember doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, you're just in an endless hole of negative emotion and crying and you feel hopeless. And it's like your whole world just changes in a flash. And I, I told him, I don't, I don't even want to do another IUI. I want to go straight to IVF because I'm concerned about this low, um, AMH that was undetectable and my antral follicle count was less than five. So we didn't have a lot to work with. So my husband and I made an appointment with an RE and, you know, of course it takes a couple months to be able to, you know, get in and you're just trying to understand what is going on with my life at this point. You're going from just a newlywed, happy couple, full of hope and positivity to all of a sudden you're an infertility patient and you're just putting aside any form of humility as you're <laughs> in these situations of exam and probing and poking that you're otherwise like, I can't even imagine being in this situation. So yeah. it's really a shock to your entire life and your entire being and sense of self. Yeah. Um, the army was very well known in our community, very respected. And he basically said that because of my low reserve, he felt like time was of the essence and he thought it would be beneficial for us to do back-to-back retrievals and try to get as many eggs as we could right away because time was ticking by and, you know, things were only going to get worse for me. And so we went through the first round of IVF and we only had one egg, which was totally devastating you know, I, I ne- will never forget just waking up from the retrieval and my husband being right there and saying there is only one egg. And of course, that's not what you hope for going into it. You know, um, we ended up having one embryo. It was a day three. Yeah. Very similar and, to mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's certainly not the outcome that you would hope for. And then I think a lot of other situations and re might even say let's just cancel the cycle right there aren't enough follicles aren't enough you know egg possibilities but for me we knew that there wasn't going to be necessarily a better outcome next time so we had the day three embryo uh he said it was good quality so we felt at least some little sense of hope about that We went into the second retrieval, hoping for, you know, just a couple more eggs, whatever we could get. And um, we still only had one egg from that retrieval as well. And in fact, he was unable to retrieve any eggs from the other follicles that I had. And so that was really devastating. Um, And from there, we, the next step was going to be a transfer single embryo transfer. I had several fibroids. So we had a bit of a time delay because of me needing, he wanted me to go to a surgeon and then have some extra tests to see if he thought I needed to have the fibroid removed before transfer. And it ended up being a bit of a situation to go through, but um, we had the transfer of the first embryo and that was not successful. And it was December, I remember, um, right before Christmas, and we found out we weren't expecting, and we had family coming to visit us for the holidays, and it was just all-consuming and just so devastating. And so, but we felt a little hopeful that we still had the one 
um, embryo left. And so we transferred the second embryo and I saw a positive result on a home pregnancy test for the first time in my entire life. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. My husband was actually on a work trip at the time. And so I was alone looking at this positive, like so excited to call him. And I, that very same day went out and bought that book, what to expect when you're expecting. And I bought a little onesie that said worth away. I mean, I was ready. I was like, yeah. this is it. This is our time. I'm ready to be a mom. I can't believe it. It's finally happening. Um, first ultrasound looked fine. My, my, test my uh, beta or I can't even remember what the acronym is called anymore. My first result was like on the lower end, my numbers, um, but it did double. And our first ultrasound was fine. There weren't any concerns that he saw. And then on the appointment where we were supposed to go in and see the heartbeat, there was no heartbeat. And so I just... It's just something you just never forget, certainly, no matter what happens in life. And if you do go on to, to be a mom and you just never forget. No. And I've got goosebumps yeah, he, as you're saying that because I can yeah. just I my story is so similar to yours in terms of the miscarriage and kind of not having that many eggs to transfer and, and just that moment where you're very naive at that point, aren't you? You think at the point you get that positive pregnancy test, we did it, we, we've yeah. beaten the odds. And, and then suddenly to have that ripped away from you, it yeah, it, it's very difficult to describe. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said, stop all your meds. And so that process of the miscarriage is just something that I know a lot of people don't really talk about what happens to a woman's body when you're going through that. And it's so traumatizing and you just feel so alone no matter how much support you have from your spouse or partner you just feel so alone with what is going on with your body and how you're feeling navigating the physical aspect and the emotional and mental aspect so you know that was totally devastating not only certainly because of the miscarriage but we had no other embryos and it had been so emotionally draining and exhausting to go through the two rounds of IVF that we did. We were just feeling totally hopeless at that point. Yeah. And we felt like we were back to square one. Yeah. It's the thought and of we, having to go all the way back to the beginning again, isn't it? And you think, I just yeah. don't know whether I can do that again. Yet the other part of you is like, I've got to do this again, or yeah. I've got to do something. It's such a strange, difficult feeling. It is. It totally is. And we, of, of course, we took time to grieve the loss of that child, and it was a process, you know, a process that certainly you you have not a lot of control over the time that it's going to take to kind of be ready to think about what's next. But um, egg donation is something that we had always been aware of and something that we had always considered an option for us. In fact, when I think back to that RE that I mentioned earlier on, back at the gynecologist's office, I mentioned egg donation to him right away. It's something that I knew would be an option if I ever needed it. And he said, don't worry about it. You aren't going to need it. Everything's going to be fine. You're young. And nobody at the RE's office could believe that I was going, that I would end up going through egg donation at my age. And, but my husband and I made the decision that we wanted to pursue egg donation as a path to parenthood because we felt like it would give us hope again. Yeah. Um, we, 
my husband, of course, said, look, if you would like to continue to go down the path of IVF with your own eggs, I, I fully am on board and support 100%. He, I think he really wanted it to be my decision because I was the one who would be giving up on my own genetics and that connection. And I was okay with doing that. I honestly felt like I would have the best chance at a healthy pregnancy and a healthy child if we went through the path of egg donation. We just wanted to be parents. We, Our desire and our hearts full of love to give to a child did not change during the course of our infertility journey. We still had just the same amount of desire yeah. and hope, if not more at that point. So we, we yeah. still wanted to become parents. It was just the path that you had to exactly it was a path and we decided that that's what we wanted to do we didn't feel forced we didn't feel hopeless in terms of not having other options we just knew that that was what felt right for us and so we met with our re and we let him know and he had not even brought up egg donation at that point but we let him know that we wanted to pursue egg donation he said he thought that would be a great option for us certainly we could continue trying with my own eggs he couldn't say that it would never happen, but he didn't know how long it would take and if it would ever work. So yeah. at that point we agreed, let's go forward with egg donation. And that is a big, I would say pivot and a, just a big like fork in the road, really. If you kind of visualize just the, the path to parenthood, it is a fork in the road, but it was one that gave us a renewed sense of hope again. And I felt like there was maybe a light ahead for us. And then we went through the process of selecting a donor, um, you know, and that is just, there could be a whole podcast in and of itself, just about the emotions and the feelings and kind of the conversations that a couple has when you're going through that and how it differs for the parent, the hopeful parent that would be foregoing their own genetics and then the one who would be able to potentially keep their own genetics. So we went through that process and when I saw our donor and I read about her, I just felt this very strong intuition and sense of knowing that that was her. And she had not donated before. She was a non-proven donor. And I just, my husband and I felt like this was her. And so everything worked out. Um, She was able to, to do the donation for us. And the process was very smooth for her and um, for us, and it was, you know, a good retrieval. It just, it, it, it's kind of a bit of a different perspective when you're not the one going through, you know, all of the different ultrasounds and all of the different monitoring appointments. You're just kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for an update and hoping that she's doing, that she's doing well. Yeah. And so, yeah, we transferred one embryo. Um, I will never forget that transfer when they brought in the embryo and they said, this is a beautiful embryo. And I still, I tear up right now just (laughs) thinking about it because no, they never said that when it was my embryo. And (laughs) I didn't think that we would ever have any more embryos with my egg. So I knew right then we made the right choice. We just felt so hopeful this was going to be it. And it was, we're so grateful that on the first transfer, we became pregnant with what is our daughter And I always wanted to have a daughter. I had a name picked out from even before I met my husband. And thankfully he agreed 
to uh, the name and he loved it also. And that became my dream, you know, the pregnancy, you know, my OBGYN said I was like the most happy pregnant person he had ever seen because I was always in a really good mood when I came in and I was just so grateful. Yeah. I know that we as recipient parents talk about our gratitude so much. And I, and I am very mindful of what um, adults who are donor conceived say about that gratitude and the way that we feel. And I, when I speak of gratitude, I, I do not intend to ever make my, try to make my daughter feel like she should be grateful. Not at all. She can, she's free to feel however she wants to. And I don't try to put those feelings on her. It's my feeling of gratitude and my husband's feeling of gratitude for the chance to become a parent and what the donor did for us. Yeah. I couldn't be more grateful every single day. I feel like my dreams have come true because I have the family that I always wished, wished and hoped for. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I love it. We're so aligned on so many things, especially about the, the point around gratitude and and you don't want to overplay it and say it so much, but you it's an overwhelming feeling that you always have because you now have something that you never thought you'd be able to have and you are grateful for it. But it is listening to those stories. It, it makes you more conscious about how you display that gratitude and maybe mm-hmm. think about, okay, I don't want to put any pressure on them if they do have different feelings to me um, about exactly. it. So, so yeah. yeah. I'm glad we talked about that. Tell me about what led you to Happy Together Children's Book. So now you've got your beautiful daughter um, and you, you, what point did you make that decision to write a book? So when my husband and I were going through our infertility journey, I found an amazing reproductive psychologist and she became my therapist through the journey. And also my husband and I met with her together. She spoke with me about... If we would, I mean, back then it was, will you tell your child? And I, and of course, yes. I mean, I I don't know. I hope that people do intend to tell their children about this because I do think it's their right to know from a young age, uh, their conception story. And so we both agreed. We always knew that we intended to tell our daughter her story. My therapist showed me a children's book. And she suggested that that was a way that I could get started. And at that point, we were not yet pregnant. We were still, we were just embarking on the path to egg donation. And I will never forget how emotional I felt holding that book for the very first time, because I could not imagine ever being pregnant, actually being a mother, let alone needing to talk with my child about the conception story. So it just seemed like a far off dream that I, in the universe, and I didn't know if it would ever be a reality. But that book that she recommended at the time ended up being the first book that I read to my daughter about egg donation. Yeah. And when I read the book to her, it's a, I really liked the book. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted a story that gave really a sense of a loving family and the, the, wish that and dream that a parent had to have a child and the love that they had in their heart and the joy that they felt when that child came into their life. And so writing has always been a passion of mine. Ever since I was 12 years old, I've been writing poetry and short stories. And I took a lot of writing classes in 
school and then in university as well. It's not something that I do for work. It's just, it's a passion that I have. So I kind of always had a personal dream to write a book someday. And I thought, why not this? Why not just try to write something and in attempt to help my own family? And then I thought, well, what if this helps other families too? How great would that be? Donor conception is something that was not discussed several years ago when I was on this journey. When I say that there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook groups, we were in a forum, a very secure forum of a few women from the support group that I had at the t- that I was in at the time, and it just wasn't discussed anywhere else. I searched the internet for stories about egg donation and I would find like one or two things on YouTube. And so I didn't know, I didn't have an appreciation for how many people were out there maybe going through this journey, but I had a hope that perhaps I would reach some other people and be able to help them. And so I wrote the book. I found an illustrator that I just love so much. And she was able, I had this vision in my mind and she was able to bring it to reality on the pages and I couldn't be more proud of it. And after I wrote that initial book, I thought, well, why not transform this into some different family building stories? And so at this point, I've published eight happy together, different versions, um, egg donation, sperm donation, embryo donation, IVF, single mother, two daddies, two mommies, surrogacy. So I, I don't have any plans to write others at this point. But I'm very proud of those that I have written, and I'm very touched and humbled by the families that have embraced Happy Together. And then it's given those parents a bit of a starting point to have these conversations with their young child, because I know that it's very hard, can be very triggering. Um, It's very sensitive, especially early on, but I'm really proud of the fact that Happy Together has been able to help so many other families too, aside from my own. Yeah. And you should be proud of it. it. It has been a huge part of our family building story. And I still remember the moment you sent me a copy of the book a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. I think Mila was, my eldest was three at the time. And I remember receiving it while she was at nursery one day. And we'd, we'd spoken about it a little bit. I'd mentioned the fact that we'd needed to use someone else's eggs, but I'd not really ever really told the whole story altogether. And I remember opening the book and it's so beautifully illustrated and and written. And I just sobbed. I completely sobbed. At at that point, I was talking openly about my story. So it wasn't like it was the first time I'd spoken about it or read about it. But it just, I, I almost felt relief, I think, in a way, because it gave me a tool to sit and open up that conversation more regularly and almost with a script in a way that I could share that with her in by doing one of the things that she loves to do the most to sit and read a book at bedtime and I remember being really nervous the first time I read it to her because because I'd cried so much when I first read it I thought what if I get really upset in front of her and what what will she feel and I remember we lay down and she placed her head on my chest as we were reading and it just felt so right. And I I think I wobbled a bit, especially when we got to the bit where we talked about um, our donor. But you could see her taking the story in and then it was 
from doing that that we started to get a few questions around okay so where is she now and um we've started to then feed in a bit more detail but I just think what you've created and given to families is that starting point it's that foundation and we've built on it from there um and yeah I don't know about you did you how old was your daughter when you first wrote the book and and did you introduce it with her well first I must say that I'm tearing up just by hearing you talk about this because I remember when you got the book and when you described how you felt when you first read her the book so I I tear up because I you just it takes you back it really yeah. takes you back. And so I hope that other parents of young children or intended parents listening to this right now know that it's okay to feel these emotions. And I would say it's 100% natural and it's yeah. to be expected. And there's nothing wrong with you for feeling these emotions. Let yourself feel them. And what you were saying, Becky, about you know maybe worrying a little bit if you would cry or wobble, That is exactly why I think it's so helpful for parents to start reading things like this at when their child is a young age, because their child won't remember seeing mommy or daddy cry or hear their voice shaking. And um, I actually, there is somebody who posted on my Instagram yesterday that she has been reading the book while pregnant. And when she first started out, she was very nervous. And now the baby's not even born yet. And she's already feeling even more comfortable. So I thought, wow, what a great idea. But when I wrote the book, she was about four years old. And we had already been reading other books. I've probably purchased just about every single book on egg donation that has been written in the past few years. And there are so many more out now, which I, I think is absolutely wonderful. And when I wrote Happy Together and I was able to sit and read that book with her, I was so excited. I just felt so proud. And it's now something when she was able to actually start reading it herself to me, I thought, wow, this is pretty incredible. She pretty much has a book memorized at this point. And I guess just going back to talking to your child at that age, as they do continue to grow up, find something that feels natural for you and your family. And I would say that that could be a combination of a few different things. For example, you might want to start off with, uh, you know, a few different children's books that talk about egg donation or whatever your family building story is. And then also in parallel to that, you can create your own book for your child. And that could be a scrapbook. Um, For example, we have a scrapbook that has included some things like ultrasound photos, a little note that my husband wrote me when we found out it was a girl, and just different things like that. You can include things about the donor also. For example, if you have photos of the donor, if you have a a bio of the donor, maybe a list of things that he or she enjoys doing or attributes about their personality, about their family, things like that. You can include that in the scrapbook as well. And if you don't have a lot of information about the donor or maybe as much information as you would like to have at this point, perhaps you can include some information about what you do have. For example, if you know your donor is from the Czech Republic, but you don't have any photos or a bio to share. You could include maybe a picture of the Czech Republic and some 
information about the culture and the people and, and things like that, or maybe a map showing where the Czech Republic is in relation to where you live so that your child is starting to hear a bit more about where that person is from in a way that is able to highlight the information that you do have. So I think that just a variety of different things at that young age can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a picture of the Czech Republic of Prague on our wall and we refer to that as part of their story. Um, And I heard something from um, a parent of older donor-conceived children which really, it it really made sense. The way he described it was um, that... We think about a story, so I think he used the film Shrek, for example, where you you watch it as an adult and you see all of the adult themes and you understand everything that's going on and what they're feeling and what they're thinking. You watch it as a child and it's it's almost a different level of story for them. They are they don't understand what it all means, um, but they understand enough to enjoy the story and to go along with it. And you think about when they watch it again in 10 years' time, there'll be different things they understand. And and he said the donor conception story is a little bit like that. It, at age-appropriate times, you introduce certain bits of information, but it doesn't stop there. It's something that evolves and it grows and you start to attach meaning to these things. And, and this mm-hmm. is where I think we're going to lead on to now because you've recently been talking about some of the conversations you've been having with your daughter where you started to explore the meaning of of genetics and and kind of dna and that as a concept and what that means in relation to um your donor um and their biological parent Mm -hmm. and so i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that because actually it was only in the last week you've shared some brilliant books that we can use as our children get older um sort of i think the ages of six seven eight as they start to ask a few more questions just to kind of evolve the story and introduce some of the concepts that will be really important for them to understand? Yeah, so it's been interesting because I feel my husband and I were talking not that long ago, and we feel that we did a really good job of starting to introduce this to her at a young age, but we weren't really quite sure what to do next. And I do have from the Donor Conception Network that I believe it's called Telling and Talking, uh, series that's applicable for different age groups. So I had purchased that for the younger age and then her her upcoming age as well. But I still kind of honestly felt a little bit lost as to what I was supposed to do next. And I, I think like a lot of parents, and you can probably relate to this, Becky, I overthink everything. And yep. I feel emotional about it because I want to get it right for her. Yep. And so you can kind of sometimes feel a little paralyzed because you don't, there, there's so much information you don't really know what to do. And so at some point I thought, well, I feel like the next step is to start talking with her about DNA. And I had no idea how to do that. But then a little bell went off inside my head and I thought back to the concept of using a book to talk about a new concept. And so I did a Google search, found a few books on DNA and genetics purchased the ones that I thought could, could work, received them. Some time went by, I read them and I shared them with my husband and he agreed. So first of all, just the topic in and of itself that a couple is on the same 
page when it comes to directionally where they want to go with their child's story next, I think is really important. And something that is maybe not always easy for some couples if one partner really kind of isn't comfortable discussing a bit more detail or using certain terminology and the other one is. So I would say that therapy is also something that could be helpful if maybe a couple isn't on the same page. But my husband and I happened to be aligned on what we wanted to do next and kind of directionally where we wanted to go. So we decided to read to her a particular book about DNA, biology, and inheritance. It was, it it took me back to some of the feelings that I had when I first sat down with her as a newborn because I knew that I was about ready to do something very important. And I felt the gravity of that moment in a very different way. When she was a newborn, I felt the moment about me and how I was an infertile woman who was still very fresh out of my infertility journey. A very new mother, still hormonal from everything and also very triggered still. Yeah. Because when your child is a newborn and when your child is very young, that's when the resemblance comments and different things start coming up that you've, that you know will happen. But when they do happen, you aren't quite sure how to react. So you're still dealing with a lot of firsts. So when I think back to how I felt at that point in time, I was not comfortable yet. I was still healing. I was still very emotional. Everything was still very fresh and raw. I was, I love my daughter more than anything in the world, but I was not yet confident in who I was in this story. I can relate to that as well. I think just to, to add in there, I think I still felt very unsure of myself even. And I always say that I've become much more comfortable in my role as mom since like sort of they've been able to start communicating with me and that I'd always had this niggling feeling of oh and whether it was my own fears or emotions but I could definitely relate to everything you just said there in terms of that feeling triggered and quite aware but it was all about how I was feeling at the time mm-hmm. um yeah. and knowing I wanted to do what was right for them but at that time they weren't really reacting where I suppose now you're going into this conversation knowing that she is aware and is going to respond. Exactly. And so I think what I would say is the time between the early conversation that we, I had, we had with her about the book and we continue to read it and so forth. And the way that I felt going into it just very recently, I feel, I know I'm mommy. I know that I'm her parent. I'm 100% confident in this role. I'm not threatened by the donor or the the fact that the donor is her genetic slash biological parent. I'm not threatened by that. And I used to be. I admit that I was afraid of the donor. Me too. And I was threatened by the fact that my daughter was genetically connected to this other person that wasn't me. Through time, through just personal self-reflection, I do not have those feelings anymore. And it honestly feels really good, but it's been years in the making. So anybody listening to this that 
maybe can't imagine feeling this way at some point, don't be hard on yourself. Try to give yourself some grace because it takes time and work yeah. to get to that point. But it's a process, isn't it? It's a process. It's 100% a process. When we talk with her about the inheritance and the biology and the DNA and the genetics, I just wanted to get it right for her. And I wanted to really be able to make this as clear as possible for at least that early conversation. And it then it goes back to what we were discussing before. It's something you continue to build on. You don't just mention it once. You continue to talk about it and talk about it until it becomes very natural. And so it's almost like we're repeating the same process, but with a different part of the story. And you're absolutely right, because now we are in a situation where she does ask questions. And it's a great thing. I'm just so proud of her. And the yeah. way that she absorbed the information and was curious about it. It ended up being a two hour conversation, that first one. Wow. And we just wanted to make sure that we took time to allow her the space to ask questions and also talk about some things when it comes to inheritance that she has inherited inherited from daddy and that she's also inherited from our donor. And also I, I spoke with her very directly about nature and nurture and some of the ways that her and I are alike through the nurturing. And so I could see in her face the excitement and also the pride that she felt through this. And that's what I want for her. I don't want her to feel that she has to hide any part of herself because I might be threatened or upset. I'm not going to be. And I want her to know that from an early age. Yes. The other thing for my husband and I that we feel very strongly about is that she will have these realizations someday, whether we tell her this information or not. So what I mean by that is if we weren't proactive in speaking with her about the biological and genetic connection and the inheritance factor, she's going to figure this out on her own, either it'll click within her or somebody else, maybe a friend or someone will explain it to her. And that could be very dividing, I think, between a child and the parent. And we want to be the ones who are talking about this with her proactively and giving her this understanding so that something isn't clicking for her down the road that isn't something she wasn't already aware of through our conversations with her at a young age. Yeah, and and I think it's... All of this is about building a strong relationship of trust and openness and honesty and for them to know that you're comfortable enough to talk about it so that if they want to talk about it, that's okay. And that's exactly what I want to create for the girls. And I know I think your daughter's seven now, isn't she? She's seven years old, yeah. Yeah, and and Mila will be six this year. And, And I've started to delve into these sort of conversations and we've talked about certain features she has that she may have inherited from our donor and and even at the age of I think she just turned five she turned to me in the car one day and said mommy I think the lady donor put a curl and some blue in my egg because I've got blue eyes and curly hair and I thought wow you've pieced that together and I was so proud of her for saying that um and I said, yeah, absolutely. And and we have those conversations. And, and she's also expressed 
the fact that we we don't share the same eye color and she's picked that out in the mirror and I've taken that opportunity to say well this is why um and she did say oh but I want to have your eyes for me I said well you've got other things that you you get from mummy in terms of I think we smile in the same way and we both like certain things and I think it, it is about just exploring those moments isn't it and what I love about what you've just shared is the fact that there's now a tool to kind of explain that in more detail because I I was starting to get a little nervous talking about DNA and scientific things where I I mean I know what it all means but I wanted something to back up what I was saying and so um we will share those books in in the notes as well um to this podcast because I think for people listening who might want to start getting themselves comfortable with the books because you also said around just read it to yourself for the first few months get yourself comfortable with what's in there and and then bring it and and start sharing those conversations I think it's such useful insight um from your lived experience and I think also when you were talking about how your feelings have changed as well over time I think I hope people can take comfort in that in knowing that if you are in those early stages and you are thinking I don't know whether I'll ever feel comfortable in my role as mom I feel very threatened by the thought of the donor and I think counselling can be so helpful in therapy for those feelings but it is a process and it's something that evolves over time and it's sort of through those bonds that you build and the experiences that you share that you suddenly realise that yeah I'm I'm their mum I can't be replaced but they can also be curious about who their genetic parent is and and what that means for them and and there's a whole other conversation around terminology about um our our donor not their donor um and things that we've learned around that but we'll save that for another time um just to kind of round off this discussion um I'd just love to hear from you about kind of what you've learned from listening to people who are donor conceived and the research I know we took part in a webinar on paths to parenthood Oh, it'd be about 18 months ago now with a researcher called Marilyn Crawshaw. And it was so compelling the way she talked about why it's such a good thing to be able to have these conversations early, not only for you to become more comfortable with it in practice, but for them as well. So if you could just share a little bit around the why is it so important that we we start these conversations early? Yeah, that was a great conversation that we had with, with Marilyn about that topic. And I think it's one thing to hear it from a therapist and a researcher, and it's something else to hear it from a person who is donor conceived. So I do highly recommend that parents tell early and often. As I shared before, when I was going through this process of egg donation, it, I, it was very hard to find information on this topic. And I, I admit that I was, I don't know if afraid is the right word, very hesitant to read the things that I saw from people who were donor conceived a few years ago, because I felt that it was very uh, negative and it made me feel discomfort, discomfort. Yes. And I, and looking back, I know that that was just part of my process. And that I needed to go through that process myself in order to be able to set aside my ego and put my child first and listen to what people were saying. That doesn't mean I need to agree with it, but to listen because I feel their voices have been marginalized for far too long 
and that the recipient parent voices have just in the fertility industry have really taken over the voices in this space. And I don't think that's right. And when I, I think Allie from half of me podcast, I just want to mention her because her podcast, I smile when I think about her and her podcast, because it really changed my viewpoint on being able to feel comfortable listening and really take it in and reflect then on how can I use what I'm learning in order to be a better mother to my child. Some of the things that I've learned that have surprised me that I just hadn't honestly ever thought of before, and that's probably my own naivety, but the industry, their perception on the industry, which is, it's true, especially in the U.S. There is a significant lack of oversight, regulation, verification of information from the donors. Fertility fraud is not illegal in most states. And so I think that just Mm -hmm. the perspective on the industry for me in that way has changed a bit because we look at it as a as a recipient parent, they enabled us to become a parent through the technology. However, from a donor conceived person, they view it as the industry intentionally severing ties with their genetic parent and withholding their own personal information that they have a right to know. And so I, my views on some of these things have changed a bit yeah. in ways that I think that it could be done better. And then also the terminology about the donor and it is our donor and they didn't donate anything to our child. And so that's a realization. And I expect that I'm going to continue to learn a lot more. Yeah. It's just a matter of listening. And like I said, you can choose to incorporate things into your own path with your child or not. But I think listening is very important because we as parents, I feel, owe it to donor-conceived people to listen to what they have to say because that could be our children someday. Yeah. And I think we really need to pause and take a moment and sit back and think about that because we are advocates in this space for infertility and access to care and, you know, talking about donor conception with our children and trying to create, you know, a sense of community. But our children could be those advocates for donor conception someday in terms of changing some things within the industry itself. And so I think that we owe them the respect of our listening and acknowledging what they are sharing and helping lift up their voices too. I agree. And I think you mentioning Ali's podcast, that's a great way to, to listen because I think sometimes reading something in isolation in a comment thread or on a, on, on a Facebook group can be quite triggering, but to hear somebody talking and and to hear the context you really can get a real feeling for the perspective and I will admit as well Ali's podcast was a real turning point for me and and being able to to speak with her and become friends with her and and really talk about things on on that were really difficult topics and and it's never going to be easy but But it is. And again, that's a process. Like you said, at first, some of the things you see you may not agree with or you may feel strongly about. But thinking about the why are they saying it and and what does that mean and and what can I take from it and and all of those things. And 
And I think one of the things that I've taken from listening to people is actually we're talking here about the importance of telling early and and it is it's so important to sort of set that foundation but it doesn't mean that they won't have difficult feelings it's all right to say yeah well it's okay I'm being open but it's also kind of understanding that how they might feel about forming their identity and and being able to support them in if they want to find out more about the donor and they want to discover half siblings and all of those other things and and what has really blown my mind is is how vast donor conception is and and I've said this before but I I genuinely feel as a recipient parent you're going into this you're very vulnerable you're in a place where you are so desperate for a baby and it offers hope and it gives you an option but the support that is offered alongside that is so so lacking because it is almost just seen as an extension to to IVF and rather than a whole new path which requires preparation and thought and counseling and all of these other things and so yeah my hope is that through having these conversations people will start to think about some of these things way earlier than I even thought about it and yeah to know that there are things we can do as parents to hopefully make that an easier process for them as well as children. So I couldn't agree more. And I just, I think that's why it's so amazing that you've created the community that you have past the parent hub support is, I haven't mentioned it. I don't think um, to this point, but support is something that you will remember forever. The connections that you made at that time when you were feeling so alone, so shameful, so just like you said, you just want to be a parent and you feel like no one else understands. And to create and have a sense of community with other people is so helpful and valuable during that time. And a lot of times you'll make connections that you have for years and years to come. So I just think it's wonderful. Everything that you've done, Becky, it's an area that's so needed and it's going to help so many people and ultimately help the children too. Thank you, Julie. And yeah, that's my hope is to create that community because I just remember how alone I felt and, and that safe space as well. Not everybody's comfortable sharing on social media and, and wants to kind of put their life out there. So the chance for people to be able to, privately connect with other people who are going through this and and air their thoughts without judgment and and just to be able to learn from others um yeah that's my hope so thank you so much it's been such a valuable discussion I just want to end with a question that I've asked everybody who I've spoken to um and it's just really for your three pieces of advice that you would give um to either potential recipient parents or, or recipient parents now three pieces of advice I would say the first piece of advice would relate more to people who are just on their journey to become a parent. And that's exactly what we were just talking about. Find your community of people that will understand exactly what you're going through and you can support each other on that journey because you don't have to suffer in silence. You can, you can put the shame aside and really know that you're, you're truly not alone during that time. The second piece I would say would be applicable to a new parent with a a newborn baby or a very young child. It's okay if you're still feeling triggered. It's okay if you're still feeling emotional. I would say expect that that's going to happen. And it's just going to be a process of healing and becoming rooted in who you are as a parent. So don't be hard on yourself. 
you're dealing with a lot of firsts, you're in a new reality, it is quite emotional. Support yourself, maybe back through those friends that you made through the support group therapy, just journaling, taking time for you, but knowing that it does take time and that you will be on the other side of it. And then the third piece would be for parents that I guess are embarking on the the age of, you know, your eldest and, and my daughter too, we don't have all the answers. Like you said, we're not experts. We're just parents who care a lot and want what's best for our children. So don't be too hard on yourself. If you don't know exactly where to go next, just follow your instincts, take in all the information that you've learned from listening to other parents, maybe with older children, listening to people who are donor conceived, and then using these resources, for example, maybe that's the books that I shared uh, not that long ago. When your kids are about this age, you will get to the point that you are comfortable sharing some of these topics that you want to talk about. It will all click. Just stay on the path, know where you're headed, and everything will work out. Yeah. And and I know this topic can feel really heavy as well. And I just want to also finish by saying we we say kind of talk about it often with them but by no means does it have to dominate your family life and there is so much more to our family and and to everything we talk about every single day than than how they came to be it's important and it needs to be a part of their narrative and their understanding as they grow but yeah I think sometimes you can listen to something like this and all we're Mm -hmm. talking about is donor conception and, and how to have these conversations but just holding that perspective that there is your family and and everything else that goes on in your life that's happening as well at the same time and the joy that comes with it exactly yeah yeah thank you so much julie i've loved chatting with you chat for hours so nice so nice thank you so much and i hope people have found this useful and if you want to find julie you can find her at happy together children's book on instagram and i'll also put a link to her website as well if you wanted to get a copy of the book Welcome back to Julianne. As you know, I was chatting with Julie from Happy Together Children's Book, and we've been talking all about our own experiences of talking to our children from a young age about their conception story. Um, and so I thought today it'd be great to talk to you about some of the reasons why it's important for us to share this story with our children. Absolutely. So if we've come through, and we have now quite a few feelings that we've been talking about, we've talked about longing talked about shame I guess this is the part of the journey where I suppose I would call it compassionate acceptance that you know we have reconceived the dream we we do understand that this is now at times the very complex road we've gone down and we've understood as parents that this is something that we now need to hold you know in an appropriate way for our children and, and the reasons that we do this, and look, Becky, I'll be honest with you, you know, I've been doing this work for a very long time. And the advice when I started this was actually that you don't tell, you know, just don't tell. Yeah. This is over 18 years ago. When you think next year, 2023, we're going to have the donor conceived register open. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a specialist in this area, we're preparing ourselves for people coming forward who perhaps haven't known and haven't had this part of their reproductive story given to them from an early age. 
So what we do know now, and, and this, you know, you've had these wonderful people on the Paths the Parent Hub webinars, such as Dr. Su- you know, Professor Susan Gollenbuck and obviously Dr. Marlon Crawshaw. We've got lots of years of research now showing that those children who are given this in a loving, compassionate and age appropriate way as part of how they came to be, develop with a very strong sense in a lovely sense of pride around their story and who they are. And in very matter of fact ways at different ages and stages can describe to you, you know, what it is that's happened and and why perhaps mummy's eggs didn't break or didn't work. And, you know, why daddy's um, sperm wasn't, you know, used. And and even in the case of same sex parenting, you know, why it was necessary that we had sort of a donor come and and help my mummies, you know, have me. And this is crucial because if we are to lift some, I guess, of the, the shame and the stigma and the hiddenness and secrecy that has surrounded these paths to parenthood until very recently, really. It is really important that we're able to hand on to our children, you know, reproductive stories that they can tell mm. and take in as part of their identity, minus the shame and secrecy and anger and whatever else that we've talked about throughout this series of podcasts yes absolutely and and that's what I try to do with how I'm telling my children at the, at the moment and my hope is that it will help them build that foundation of their identity and obviously it doesn't mean that they won't have questions in the future or they they won't have curiosity or, or things that we may need to support them with but for me it allows us to have our relationship formed on on openness and honesty and and trust and I think that that will provide a strong base for our relationship as we move forward. And the research bears that out you know and and I love that idea of a foundation Um, you know we often talk about Oedipal triangles so you know mummy daddy or mummy mummy and child and what we now talk about are Oedipal circles so that the child learns that there are different people who have been part of the story at different times and for some couples I work with they might include the consultant they might include the fertility nurse and include the donor within that but there's a sense of understanding that in order for you to come into our lives these are the different parts of the story and the different people within that story who were involved and of course we know you know from some of the work I've done with adoptive parents how important that can be and there was a move to that more inclusive way of understanding children's origins within the uh, adoption community some time ago, understanding that children need to know their origins and where they come from and, and how different parts of the journey have, have led to them, if you like. The research shows that where this is given, as I said, in an age-related and age-appropriate way throughout the child's development and again to be really clear this doesn't mean banging this drum over and over again you know often what happens is that you read a story or you give the child some sense of the story and they will come back as you say with that curiosity and will ask questions and you often give lovely examples you know on Instagram of the sorts of amazing questions that your daughters come up with around their their story yeah and and just little comments that they'll just make out of nowhere so we'll be making pancakes and we'll have some eggs and one of them oh it's broken oh that's like your egg mummy and Mm -hmm. uh just Mila saying recently around 
I think I know what the donor did. I think she put a curl in that egg and some blue for my eyes. And it's just seeing it all come together in their minds. Um, mm. But one of the things that Julie and I spoke about was was how emotional it can feel telling these stories to our children. And we, we mm. both have spoken to the level of emotion that's that's come up in us at the point where we've read mm. books. And Julie just said more recently she's recently shared some amazing books for sort of age around seven around DNA and what DNA means children's Mm. books and and she said even at that point as comfortable as she was she felt very emotional as she read Mm. it and I suppose from from your perspective um could you just speak to to these emotions that might come up at the point where we're sharing the conception story with our children? Absolutely. And I mean, this very probably too neatly loops us back to the original podcast that we spoke about, which was these ideas of longing that, you know, even when we have our longed for children and we're able to be as comfortable as you and Julie clearly are being able to share these, you know, very important moments in, in your child's conception story there will still be an echo of the loss perhaps that you know that you have gone through in order to get to to that place Um, and I think it's really important to understand that longing and loss is part of this story um, which will bubble up now and again and you know it might be when your children are younger, they might notice those feelings. But I guess I'm, I'm wondering if you could imagine at a later stage for Mila or, or the others that they might say, Mummy, why are you crying? You know, you, you look yeah. as if there's a tear in your eye. What might you say about that? Because that's just another part of the story, isn't it, to share with them? Yes, I, that has happened with me, actually, not necessarily when telling the story, but I do get quite emotional at at times where say Mila is is saying something or doing something in particular and I I will well up and and she'll say mummy why are you crying and I say it's happy tears and and she knows they're happy tears because we once felt like we weren't going to have her and and we're so happy to have her now and yeah she always says to me she's doing a dance show in a few months and she said mummy are you going to cry again? I said, mm. well, yes, yeah. <laughs> I will. She said, but they'll be yeah. happy tears, won't they? And and I think mm. we can be sharing with them that how mm. kind of the emotions and and what what that means for us. And I think more so now for me, the loss tends to be more around the the loss of a simpler story, not just for me yeah. but for them as well. And and mm. I think that's one of the things I've found more difficult over the last few years as I've heard about different stories of people who are donor conceived and have had challenges and Mm. and I look at my girls and I think I just don't want you to ever feel any sort of pain or Mm. or loss at all but Mm. it's then trying to maintain perspective around that and think about okay what is in my control and what can I do to support them through this and and I think a big part of that is being open from the start and and sharing this journey in a way that we can have those conversations where they will never feel oh I really want to know this or I'm feeling a bit like this and I I can't speak to mum about Mm. it because it's going to upset her that that would upset me more than anything so that's what I'm trying to encourage absolutely and and you know you took the words out of my mouth that's precisely what your girls will know and I guess through a seven-year-old's eyes mummy crying happy tears is one level of understanding but you can imagine perhaps Mila at 17 asking you the same question and that will elicit a different conversation 
But yeah. Becky, what you and Julie and other parents I know have modelled so beautifully for your children is that nothing is off, you know, the table. Yes. We can talk about this. We can feel about this. At times, you know, I may not know what to say to you exactly. Um, I may have to go away and come back and have a think about that. Maybe you'll have to think about that too. But that is the essence of good enough parenting, whatever yeah. it is that our children, you know, experience Absolutely. with us as their parents. And, and that could cover a whole myriad of different things that children go through in families. And the most important thing that you're able to model is that they can come to you and ask questions and be curious and share their feelings. Absolutely. And and I think it's a big lesson for them at a young age that mm. life isn't doesn't always go to plan and also as as humans as well I think what you say about actually showing vulnerability and and showing that you might not know the answer right now or you might your feelings might change it's it's showing them you don't always get it right but we're learning Mm. and we're learning together and we're Mm. we're working through this together so yeah that's that's the intention and it's great to hear from you and other researchers about how that relationship built from an early age can can have a a great impact on the outcome. I must apologise for my croaky voice Mm -hmm. (laughs) upon recording this. At least I've not had a coughing fit in the middle of this one. But yes, if anyone's wondering why I sound very husky, that's why. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Julianne. It's been a real pleasure. Mine as well. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me to be part of these podcasts. Thank you. I want to say a huge thank you to Julie for sharing her story and also to Julianne as well for her wise words in helping make all of the emotions make sense. And for the final part of this episode, I am really emotional to share this little clip with you and it's a very short extract from a conversation that I had with my own daughter Mila who is five years old And I asked Mila whether she wanted to come and talk to the people who mummy speaks to about how she was made. And she was really excited to do so. I think probably more so because she got to use my new microphone. But she, in her own words, shares her story. And I think that it is really important to to listen to some examples of this because I think not only does it make it all feel less scary, but it can also make it seem like a really beautiful conversation as well. I even get emotional listening to Mila talk about that in in her own words. And I know that it doesn't end there. I know that this story will develop and she will have more questions as she grows and so will her sisters. But I feel like we are really starting to build our relationship based on honesty, love, And I'm constantly learning. I think that's a really important thing to note at the end of this episode. I don't feel like I've got it all together. I am constantly looking to other people to share their experiences and their ideas and to listen to donor conceived people here about their own perspective as well. And I think that's a really important part of this journey. So Mila, can you tell everybody the story of how you were made. So this is how I was made. So once upon a time, um, there were some two people called Mummy and Daddy. Um, they both wanted 
somebody um to um, make a baby and then they went to do that and um when um mommy used her eggs they didn't work and daddy said oh dear old mommy we we want your eggs to work and then um it didn't work and then mommy was really sad and then they went to a donor and they gave her mummy some eggs and and then they used it and then they could make a baby and then there was somebody else to make the baby. Yeah, and who was that baby? Me! <laughs> it was yeah. you. And tell everyone about where you think you got your curls and your blue eyes. I from. think I know I think I know how I got my blue eyes and curly hair. So I think they pop some blue bits inside the egg and some curls in it. Yeah? Like this. And you think they came from the donor lady? Yep. Yeah? And maybe you got some things from Daddy as well? Yeah, and I got... Whenever Mummy ate things, I ate them too. <laughs> you did in my tummy, didn't you? Yeah. That's really nice. Thank you, Mila. So thank you for listening today. If you found it useful and if you've enjoyed listening, please do take a moment to rate and review. I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to find Julie from Happy Together Children's Book, you can find her on Instagram at Happy Together Children's Book. And you can also buy her books through Amazon. And I'm sure there's some other retailers too. You can find Julianne at Parenthood in Mind on Instagram as well. And there are more and more conversations with Julianne and some of the other professionals that I speak to over on Paths to Parenthood. Until next time, I hope you have a good couple of weeks. I'm going to be sharing a very special episode next on International Donor Conception Awareness Day, which is on the 27th of April. So do look out for that. And... I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye-bye.